Hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Keith Billick. This is the Picky Fingers Podcast, and even though my name is Keith Billick, I've been running into more and more people lately that just call me Picky Fingers. I don't know whether to be insulted by that or not, but either way, I guess I brought it upon myself, so I might as well embrace it, right? At any rate, this is part two of our conversation with Ryan Cavanaugh. I'm going to get to that in just a minute, but if you didn't check out the first part of Ryan Cavanaugh's interview, that is the last episode, episode number 10. This is number 11. Real quick before we get into that, though, I do need to make sure to give a shout out to today's official Patreon supporter of the episode. It's a guy named Mike Tripico, and you can find Mike either at various infamous String Dusters concerts, he's a big fan of those guys and so am I, or you might be able to find him working as an astrophysicist for NASA out in Maryland, which, yeah, is really impressive. He must have picked up banjo because he needed a little more challenge in his life, something like that. Either way, Mike, I'm really happy to have you as a listener and also as a Patreon supporter. For any of the rest of you who haven't checked out the Patreon page, that's available at patreon.com slash banjo podcast. That's how you become an official supporter of the show. And Mike Tripico, I really appreciate your support there, and as well as any of the rest of you who have donated through that page. One more announcement of something I have coming up, uh, and I actually mentioned this a few episodes ago, but there's an event called the Great Lakes Music Camp that happens in western Michigan along the shores of Lake Michigan, and that's in early October. You can go to greatlakesmusic.org to check into that, but I'll be teaching banjo classes there. Bill Evans will be teaching banjo classes. For any of you who want to take classes with other instruments, there's a very star-studded cast of instructors um, that will be conducting classes and concerts, including songwriting and various other things. So that's going to be a great event, and I will be there. And a, a very special announcement for the podcast is that one of the class sessions actually will be a live recording of the Picky Fingers podcast, and the guest for that will be my fellow banjo instructor, Bill Evans. And that will take place live in front of an audience of whoever is, is at the camp and wants to come listen to it. I'm hoping to get a few audience questions involved, and that'll be a new experience for, for definitely for me, but um, you know, hopefully people will enjoy seeing that. Uh, at any rate, yeah, that's greatlakesmusic.org. I'll be there teaching banjo, and I hope to see at least a couple of you. Come track me down if you're there. For those of you who won't be at the camp but still want to track me down, you can email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com or search for me on any of the main social media platforms. I'm on most of those. But now we're going to get back to the conversation with Ryan Kavanaugh. Once again, if you didn't hear the first half of it, you might want to go back and listen to episode 10 before you listen to the rest of this one, just to give yourself some context and background to what Ryan's talking about. But we're going to pick it up. One of Ryan's jazz heroes is a guitarist named John McLaughlin. And when Ryan was really starting to get very serious about jazz, he reached out to John via email and introduced himself, says, I'm trying to play jazz on the banjo, and can you help me out? And that's where we're going to pick up this conversation is when he was first making contact with his jazz guitar hero, John McLaughlin. Um, so here it is, Ryan Kavanaugh, part two. And I was very lucky 
Yeah, he said, you know, I know it sounds funny, but the saxophonist Bill Evans is a friend of mine, and he just did a uh, a record with Bela Fleck called Soulgrass, and he's looking for a banjo player. I'll see if he, I can get you a gig. And at this point, he had not heard your playing. He has no idea. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He After the initial correspondence, he asked me to go into a recording studio and make him some improvisational MP3s. That was unheard of then in 2005 to send an MP3. And so I yeah. taught, taught myself how to do that. You know, I went to a friend's studio and his mom helped me convert, you know, the final tracks digital. To the proper format. To the proper format. Not only was, is that unheard of, but just the fact that this legendary guitarist is willing to give yeah you blew my the, mind the, the time of day not knowing who who you are i'd gotten a them. cold shoulder from most people in bluegrass circles at festivals then probably because i was trying to bother them at work but i'd failed at emails too and like this this was my all-time hero right that got back to me and i was just flabbergasted completely reinvigorated your your drive i was just like i've done all this work up till now it's time to work even more you know and uh I brushed up on my chops. I started taking lessons with a local jazz saxophonist. And then Bill hired me and sent me <laughs> all the emails going on. But Bill sends me a manila envelope, like a real thick one, full of scores for his songs. I mean, the whole score from front to end. It wasn't like we're going to play the A section and the two Bs. It wasn't like and that. there's a chart and, yeah. You needed like two music stands and... uh I read the music to learn my part, and he said, I want you to, um, I don't want you to play what Bela played on the record. I want you to play your own thing. That's great. And I, and I said, that is great. Yeah. I have room to grow now. Because there's some band leaders that want you to play exactly what's on the record, not him. He, and he made a point to say, and if I hear you playing the same shit every night, it's going to bug me. And I said, cool. I'm riding on John McLaughlin's recommendation here. I got to make this guy happy. So. Mm-hmm. It kind of went from there, and I just was in an opportunity where it was better than jazz school. It was better, and it took John McLaughlin's talking me into it and reasoning with me that made me realize it, because I asked him, it was kind of sussing out my avenues into the first tour, and I was over somewhere in Europe, and we were hanging out with him, and I said, hey, could you give me a like a scholarship to Berklee School of Music? He's like... Yeah, I could get you a full ride. I was like, wow. He's like, I could just make a call now and get you a full ride. And he looks at me, and and then he looks at Bill, and he goes, but you're in school now. Yeah. You're in school now. You have a gig. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who Bill Evans was. You know, this this Bill Evans, I knew he was a bad dude. Yeah. Um, But 80s jazz wasn't my thing. I wasn't into that Seinfeld slap pop bass thing. And, And I know Marcus Miller and... John Schofield and Mike Stern and Bill Evans, they all pioneered that that sound, mm-hmm. that 80s New York right. sound, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't my thing. I wanted to play Miles Quintet, Fusion, not the 80s stuff. And But John's point being that whole thing that you hear about, I don't know, the, the example I think of is like Stevie Ray Vaughan sneaking out of his house to go down to play blues with guys at, when he was 14. Right. That those opportunities aren't really there anymore. They aren't for most people. And um, when you drill down, that that is the way to learn. Yeah. And, and you had this. And I got into the whole thing. I, I learned a lot about music. I got into the whole thing with, um, you know, I told 
John McLaughlin, I was like, I just got into this, this whole thing. I sent that email to see if I could get a gig, number one, which I did, and to make friends with my hero and Dennis Chambers, who was, yeah. I heard the him and McLaughlin on a record back in the day, and I was completely blown away by how they played together. And so shortly after McLaughlin tells me I'm in school, Dennis Chambers ends up in the Bill Evans Soulgrass Band, and you know, I'm getting commentary from him and, and he's talking and I learned that some of these guys that take these gigs for hire didn't necessarily like the music on the gig. Wow. Okay. Yeah. They're taking the gig or the, or the guy they're working for, for that matter. Yeah. And I, I just got kind of got some insight from my heroes on how that kind of worked. You know, you don't need to learn, you don't need to like the music you're playing on the gig. You take the gig for a reason. You need money. Or just as part of your education and part your of growth. Your, part of your education. Part of my education was learning to play music I didn't like, you mm-hmm. know, and, and getting over that hurdle and doing the job and kind of telling myself, I don't want this kind of element in this music for my own personal style, you yeah. know, and I'm going to bookmark that as I play it because I didn't want to develop habits that I didn't, I didn't want to sound like I'm playing smooth jazz. Mm-hmm. And some of it was kind of like that at times. And um, there were a lot of, like, illuminated sus chords going on in, in some of these changes. And I didn't necessarily want... I wanted to play... You know? Um, but Dennis Chambers helped me, and, and John McLaughlin kind of guided me through that whole thing. And, and, and they were... Even though I was in Bill's band, those were my advisors for 10 years, those two guys. And just giving you a better perspective on just how to look at it. A very grounded perspective. It, I mean, yeah, sound advice, sage advice, good musical advice. Play the gig. You don't have to take the gig home with you. Yeah. You know, it's not your identity. And that was really cool. That is, yeah, that is really good advice. Yeah. Even for people with day jobs could probably stand to to hear that too. Maybe you'd, you're in office space and Lumberg is asking you to come in on Sundays and that that doesn't have to be yeah. who you are. I felt like I was in 80s, in 1980s German jazz hell for a lot of that time. <laughs> yeah, this is very, this is very clever, the banjo and jazz. I've heard this done with flectons, but this is new to me. <laughs> you know, I'm hearing this every day. That's, this is not a banjo, is it? Yes, it's a banjo. And the reason like, they didn't know was because you had the your solid body that you were playing. Yeah, for a lot of I had set. a Deering Crossfire that just looked ridiculous, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they thought it was a guitar. Right. You know, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm getting off track. You, you keep me on track if I'm going off. No, on a this tangent. is this is great. I love hearing about this. Um, uh, somewhere in the middle of my my ten years with Bill Evans, he did. We played with a lot of artists: Randy Brecker, Dennis Chambers. Um, John Schofield. A lot of the bluegrass people don't probably don't know who a lot of these people are. Mm-hmm. But a blue a blues guitarist named Robin Ford did a tour with us, at, or maybe a couple. And um, he didn't like the banjo. He made it a point in his his um, eccentric way mm-hmm. to snodly and smugly tell me that he didn't like the banjo, and that was okay just per se. Nothing. It wasn't even you. He well, he just... told Bill to tell me. You know, okay. Bill's my band leader, and I was lucky to be on that tour. But uh, I said, that's fine. I have an electric banjo. I'll change. Bill's like, well, you got to make it sound. Put some effects on it. And so I programmed my crappy multi effects board at the time to um, 
I think I made the rocker pedal speed up the vibrato and the okay. intensity and the volume at the same time. So I made the band, I put chorus on it, made banjo sound like an organ. And it really helped me comping for this blues guitarist just get. sounded more like a, a Hammond that mm. would be expected. Right, for, I, for I could sit here and do to. like a reverse roll. And it would just sound like, in, with all the effects going on, it would just sound like an organ holding his keys down. Mm-hmm. And uh, even from that, I was miserable. I wore glasses on that tour. Cause just to it was hide like, behind? It was a very big tour. Everything was on a Jumbotron. Oh, wow. These jazz festivals in Switzerland and stuff. And I made sure I wore these Buddy Holly glasses and grew a beard. <laughs> Cause I didn't, I didn't want anybody knowing that was me. It was your disguise. Yeah, because wow. I wasn't being me. I had to play organ on the banjo, and you know, I had to do it for money. And, and um, you were being quietly resented by people you were playing with. Uh, yeah, and probably some of the European jazz audience going, "Who's this guy?" Yeah, you know, on this weird-looking guitar banjo piece of crap. So earlier, you said that you didn't learn anything that you needed to know until you played with Bill. What kind of things were you? thinking about when you said that uh chord inversions and voicing and kind of how to like um i learned a lot about mainly mainly fusion song arrangement um um how to build a solo is what a long form solo in in now it's even working for me in like short bluegrass solos but from how to build a line to make something creative, you know. You know, and and what what is that? Is that an arpeggio of just goes over. It's a 251. <laughs> but just how to play the whole science of building a, a line like that or something tasteful mm-hmm. it tells a little story right each, each one of the it, it tells a little story but the formula of how it starts out with chord tones uh, your extent your first extension right some passing tones where you can go chromatic You know, where where you can get by. Um, I learned a lot about that. If you're going up, you can go pentatonic, and if you're coming down, you can go chromatic. Okay. Basically, as simply as that. Is there a reason that that works, or it's just one of those? It works on the human ear for some reason coming down. Exploring coming down Okay, is what I learned. Interesting. Um, a lot of it, Indian music uses those concepts too. I don't know much about it, but yep, um, yep, yep. You can do that too with, with the Indian music. They might go up a scale. And change intervals coming down. So I learned a lot about that from learning um, 
I had to trade fours with Bill Evans on up-tempo songs and like really, really, um, you know. You know, and, and just keep up with this guy that just had that's intense. A lot yeah. of energy. And somehow I needed to get that intensity out of the banjo, but where I really found it, it doesn't have to be the volume or the, the, the has how hard you touch the banjo. It has the content of what you're playing. Yeah. So it taught me I'm exploring. I'm still exploring my fretboard when I improvise, but I'm not. I'm exploring from a template that's in the back of my mind now. Because I've had enough training to do it. And before, I was just like a hippie getting up there. Oh, I'm going to play some... And, and I was playing some intense stuff because I was trying to sound like John McLaughlin. But You're talking about early in the Bill Evans, man. Yeah, but it, the biggest thing I learned was was just like tasteful crafting of uh, linear passages, improvised passages. Almost any great musician who I've heard describe this says something to the effect of practice, practice, practice as hard as you can, all your scales and all this stuff, and then as soon as you get up on stage, forget, forget all of it. That's it, yeah. Um, and it seems like that's what you were just referring to. You you have those yeah. templates so so ingrained that you're not going to actually forget them, but right. just don't think about and it. And I've created my own based on simple ones I've learned, you know, and uh, it's, it's really, it's grown nice. It's like I planted seeds that these guys gave me, and they, 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 they show me the right things. Um, so, so a lot, a lot of this is going to be over people's heads. It's, it's over my head. I'll admit it. Okay. So, for people who want to, to achieve some sort of this style of playing, if they want to play bebop banjo, what were the early things that you did, and what are the most useful things that people can, can work on to help their playing? Well, this applies to any type of music and anything that you're learning. So, I mean, I liked jazz to begin with, probably because I grew up up north and I heard it at Christmas time and, you know, uh, Peanuts Christmas. And it, it was everywhere. It was at the mall. It was in Macy's. There was some guy playing the piano. Yeah. So, I don't know. I had good memories of that. And for some reason, I did like the music genuinely. Um, the Sonny Rollins early on. and, and Yeah. That it's kind of like how I, I enjoy hearing people speak Italian. It's just, oh, that's pleasant, you know? <laughs> and then when I saw that there was a need to learn it, you know, this is, jazz was exponential, so I could learn a lot just by learning a little. And, uh, but what I really suggest is that music's like a language. And if you were listening, if you were trying to learn Spanish, you wouldn't just read it out of a book and try to say the words. You'd want to listen to a lot of Spanish being spoken. You'd want to immerse yourself in a Spanish neighborhood or go to a Spanish grocery and try to jam with the people of hola, que pasa. Yeah. You know, even if you only know a few words, at least toss those out. And yeah. See and how so far like, it gets you. I, I tell people if they're trying, whether it's jazz or classical or, you know, bluegrass or whatever, you got to listen. You just have to listen, 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 because you want to learn what you love. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to learn what you don't love. Right. I mean, for some reason, I dig classical. I'm waiting till I'm an old man to sit there and learn it because right now it's not it, I'm not feeling it. It's not what I want to yep. do. I still have some kind of mission with improvisation that that some personal goals that I want to get out of the way. But keep it personal is what I'd say. L learn what you like. I I don't learn what I learned from these guys is I learned licks and songs and chords. I cherry picked. 
and I made my own style with my little collection of like junk in a box. It's, it's kind of how I look yeah. at it. But yeah. and and some stuff led me. There's some stuff I had to learn more because I learned a little bit of it, and I was like, oh, I only half learned that, and so. I have that to do, but listening to what you like is the most important part because if you can sing it in your head, you can play it. You'll know when you're not you, playing it, and therefore... Yeah, you um, already know it. You'll know when you've got it. Playing, playing a musical instrument is trying to transfer something organic through something mechanical. And hmm. I never wanted to sound... That's interesting. Me- it's mind over matter, literally. <laughs> I have to make this like machine sound like... Uh, as. I have to make this machine sound natural because if I don't sound natural to my audience and I look like I'm trying too hard, it's what not going to supposed c- to get out of it. Right? What do they get? What kind of entertainment do they get? Mm-hmm. The most important part is to look like you're having fun even when you're not. And it, it eventually made me have fun when I was fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it. Yep. yep. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but we actually haven't even talked at all about your, your banjo or any of your cool equipment. Um, is this your main instrument right here? Yep, this is a Deering Tenbrooks Legacy model. And what uh, what about that attracted you to the instrument? Um, they gave it to me. That's an attractive feature. <laughs> it attracted me to But it. what separates this from all the other contest banjos that you had to go uh, get rid of for money? It was much better. Made... It was much better than a Gibson banjo, and I I did not want to admit that to myself. Uh, Jens Kruger. Is that what you had earlier? A Gibbs? Were you playing a Gibson until? You had this? It's, I had, I yeah, I've had this had. for 10 years. Okay. So I was playing a Gibson, some contest Gibson I'd won until up then. It wasn't very good. Um, but Jens Kruger helped me get this banjo from Deering, and now I'm good friends with the Deering people. And this banjo has a 15-inch radius fingerboard. Right. Uh, is it, it has a very thick neck, which I really like. It keeps it in tune. Do you feel like that affects the sound quite a bit? I usually think that the neck is a an underrated contributor to I think the banjo it has, tone. I think it has a huge deal yeah. to do with the ta- with the sound, especially if it's thicker up near the headstock. Um, my fretboard's wider. Um, the intonation's better, and I notice the intonation's better when I have to play, like, in a different key. You know, like, oh, if wow. I have to go up here to, like, E-flat. Yeah, that's right on. Yeah. Um... you think that the the thickness of the neck and the width help with that? Yeah, they really help with tuning stability, I've noticed. I really like that. Is that individual to your instrument, or is this the, the standard model that anybody would get if they think this went is to the, a store and bought one? I think this is the standard model everybody would get. The Tenbrooks Legacy is the mahogany version, so it sounds more like a, like, I'd like the mahogany tone. Yep. Uh, all I've, I've heard maple ones that sound really great. This is just the first one they put in my hands that I fell in love with. So, And this one is mahogany? This one is mahogany, okay. yeah. Excellent. And uh, my bridge is 11 sixteenths radius. I know banjo nerds Deering love bridge. this. Deering bridge? yep. I only use Deering bridges. Standard head. And by standard, you mean Weather Re- King? Or- Remo Frosted Weather King and um, uh, F sharp. F sharp, that's very low, right? Yep. Very loose. Yep, and and uh, by being that loose, it really helps. It just stays in tune for stuff like B flat. 
doesn't give you tuning problems in terms of your bridge sagging into the to he, the head, or it's not quite that bad. It's not quite that bad, and uh, it gives a nice. Uh, it gives me a nice um, um, round tone when I need it. It it I get a nice bluegrass tone when I need it. You know. Yeah. It does some have some extra like tubbiness when you when you dig into bluegrass a little more than than most. Of yeah, it has everything I'm going for. I like I like to fill out uh, an ensemble when I play with it, especially if there's if a mandolin's chopping and a guitar's just playing regular chords. But I like to fill out the mid range a little more. This is the Bela Flex influence on me and. You know, if I yeah, I've heard the Bela's is is probably even tuned lower than yours. It's um, it's about the right spot. You'd be surprised how okay. similar our banjos are. Okay, very similar. His bridge is probably a little bit higher than mine. I think my tailpiece is. I don't. I just measured the tailpiece height the other day. It's on my phone, but my tailpiece is pretty high. Mostly, and by high you mean like not very much of a break angle over uh, the bridge toward the it, tailpiece. It's it's high over the head. Like um, I don't know what's that half an inch. Yeah, looks like it's about half an inch or H- higher than uh, higher than higher average. than most. Yeah. Um, and the, my reason is for this is a utility. It's an all-in-one banjo. If if I was like Eric Clapton and traveling with a bunch of banjos like he did does with guitars, I'd have my arch top and my you know, Granada flathead that I'd play this song on. And, yeah. But um, for now, uh, this one is convenient, and I have it set up so I can play in those other keys and still... And it sounds really good on everything. Yeah, and have it... Yeah, as good as it can on everything, so... Do you have... Do you have a preference for what microphones you use live or in the studio, or are you mostly pickup when you're performing? I do, um... <laughs> when I play, when I play in the studio. I do prefer prefer an an old RCA ribbon mic, yeah, or a remake. I like ribbon mics on the banjo a lot. That's what that one is. Lately, I've been using a Shure KSM thirty two because they're cheap and they're really flat. They're not voiced, and uh, I can record with. One. Mainly, I record with those at home when I have to do because I can't afford an RCA ribbon mic. Live, I use. An original, I think it's a first generation Shure SM98. And, wow, uh, I'm on. Is that a condenser? It's a condenser that, microphone. It's one of those small ones, right? Yeah, like kind of uh, were they made as a drum microphone? Yeah, thinking of that saxophone. Right? Saxophone. Yeah, the beta it. was the drum mic. Okay, um, but I found an original, an original in a drawer at home, and I custom put it into a new. I'd lost the gooseneck, and now it works. Um, I'm using an EMG. Second generation pickup, and that's still on and your this, acoustic instrument. Yep. Okay. Uh, it's right under the bridge here. It's called, I think it's called the EMG Barrel. Okay. Myself and Chris Pandolfi kind of road tested this uh, this pickup that EMG was making because they did they make the humbucker. We didn't like how that sounded, and then by working with the company, <coughs> I think Chris and I road tested this thing for like three years, and it's finally out. But it's called the EMG Barrel Pickup. You can find it on their website. It's very similar to the Fishman. What was your feedback to them on it? Was it pretty good right off the bat, or did you... Um, um, the second generation one or the first one? Whatever they had you and Chris testing, did they did they get feedback from you about 
we had changes to push that it. they needed to make? We had to push them really hard. I, I was like, really appreciate the free humbucking pickups, but this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And Chris and Bala must have said that at the same time. And then it's like, man, if you make one like the Jones or the Fishman, I sent the I sent the EMG CEO like a bunch of pickups from banjos. Yeah. And he's literally like a board electrical engineer. That's wow. just, and he's like, banjo is the final frontier. You know, he's not finished yet. I would have expected the exact opposite. Yeah. Like, banjo is 1% of our market. I couldn't <laughs> care less about this Ryan Kavanaugh guy. No, he, he's, he's already very successful, and, <laughs> and he just likes the challenge. I got I to gotta admit, I really like a cat like that. Yeah. And uh, he's going for it. And uh, basically, this pickup comes, all EMG pickups do, but this new pickup, it has a preamp that goes in there with it and that is voiced you can hardwire an eq on a pickup yep and so he's done that and scooped a lot of like the 440 out of it it's still feeds back because it's a banjo but i blend that with a microphone and it does does a pretty good job it does a pretty good job and when i do if i did uh for instance, I was playing a bunch of like rock club dates with Jenny Lynn Gardner mm-hmm. and I just used the pickup and it's just fine. Yeah. It's just fine through old. Yeah, no one. And it made no me happy. Seen. It sounded good. I, I got the tone I wanted out of it. Other, Of course, other banjo players that come to the show that sit there with their arms crossed and tell you how your tone could have been better. Of course. But I was happy with it. So um, I do recommend that pickup. And what do you use to blend them? Do you have an outboard? Oh, preamp thing. I, I use a Grace Designs Felix. Those are fantastic. Dual yeah. channel preamp. Yeah, yeah it's very nice. Great. I run a parametric EQ after the pickup, before the Felix, and I cut. I cut. I think uh, 440, 339, 2K, and 600. I just surgically cut them out right. and send it to Pretty the narrow. sound man. Pretty narrow, and it works really well. Um, strings. I think I use a pretty light gauge. Uh, 10, or so I'll go from the top, uh, 10, 11, 13, 20, I'd rather have a 21, but they're hard to find, and a 10. And I'm going for a tone, like I said, it's not like every, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of going for a combination of a bunch of different things, but, um. Yeah, you really have to have a versatile setup for what you do yeah and i i don't know if it's ironic or enough but strangely enough the band you play mostly with now is a pretty traditional yeah bluegrassy kind of group compared to what i'm used to playing very much so and is how do you view that is that refreshing or it um, is was it, is it just refreshing. something in your in your mind that you wanted to get back to that a bit when i was in europe for years with bill evans i was kind of like the sideshow act in that band mm-hmm. i was Bill Evans' artistic badge uh, kind of, I have a banjo in my, you know, he was trying to say to his European audience, I have a banjo in my band. This is legit New Orleans jazz history. This guy's doing new stuff, but this is fresh. And somehow I found this guy, even though it was the other way around. Yeah, so he was kind of showing me off of what I could do, but the Europeans, they look at the banjo like, you know, we look at the accordion or the balalaika or the bamboo flute. They're just like, oh, it's a, it's a banjo. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't really, um, there were places where they clearly played. I asked to, uh, in Italy, I would play the most amazing fusion banjo solo. 
you know, than I could at the time. And, you know, right after Bill, and I wouldn't get a clap, and I started experimenting. It's like, I'm just going to... would get claps? Yeah. And instead of like... Or whatever I was playing, I... You know, and started doing forward rolls anywhere I could. And when I played Earl Scruggs rolls, like obvious ones, like, um, like, like, just kind of like going for it, howling at the moon kind of stuff. Those Italian and Spanish audiences went nuts. Wow. And I asked some people in some of those towns, I was like, I tried this tonight, and this is what happened. I played banjo music, go figure, on the banjo night. People went crazy. And uh, one of the people in the small town, yes, they've been playing reruns of Beverly Hillbillies on TV here for the last 10 years. (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. And so when when I saw you with uh, Bill Evans, were you playing that stuff on your electric banjo through distortion and all this business they would oh yeah Yeah, uh, some of it i mean he wanted electric banjo specifically Mm -hmm. so he could change it up uh by asking me to play through an effect or i was really encouraged to experiment with that stuff as well with what i played and um and i had guidance from some of the best players in the world of course hey john mclaughlin what do you use for effects you know kind of um but the Europeans weren't holding on to the banjo, and I needed to make a change in my life, and I left and joined the Jeff Austin band, and my whole goal was just to get back on the bluegrass scene here because, you know, I, 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 all my friends look like they're having so much fun here in the United States, you know, and I was, yeah, you know, I was, I was happy playing jazz, but um, it was time for a change, and it was time to apply what I know on jazz to just relaxing into a bluegrass style that's that I have all of that. Do you feel like it's more accepted now than when you were a kid and getting those snide looks at the festivals now that you have a lot more progressive players out there who are I think so. I think it's changed drastically, but when I was a kid I didn't have I wasn't eighteen and I couldn't get into a hippie festival. Right. Or or a bluegrass festival. So I I don't know. I'm pretty sure I mean Bela Fleck is prolific. What he did with the Fleck tones is prolific. Even as some of us, some of us will turn up their nose at this, but even bands like Yonder Mountain String Band made a huge impact on mm-hmm. bluegrass. Yeah, they were like, the first of those jam grass. Yeah, they may have bands. been the first reason many people put a pickup in their banjo, and that might not sound like a big deal today. But when I when I realized back in, when I was a kid that Bela Fleck used a pickup, I had to have one. What does this do? Right. Can it help me? Can it hinder me? And uh, that's enough to change the music. Yeah. One piece of equipment on somebody's banjo is enough to change the whole thing. And uh, Anytime one person raises the bar, yep. everyone who comes after him is viewed through that yeah. and, and held to a different My dad standard. made me this goofy pickup mount for my jack because the EMG jack wasn't working. That's and, pretty slick. And uh, you clip the mic on here. I guarantee... I guarantee in two years I'm going to see similar designs on somebody's banjo. I hope so. Yeah, and it just happens that way. So uh, I think it's changed enough to where I feel really comfortable in it. And I've gotten to meet a lot of my heroes in the past couple weeks because I've only been doing this with this new band for like three or four months. Mm -hmm. But uh, Rhonda Vincent and Jens Kruger, and I get to see these people and play with them, and it's delightful. It's just 
I, I really like it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm sure they're happy to have you back in the in the community. Yeah, and, and most have never even knew of me, which I didn't expect them to. Wow. But okay. it's kind of nice meeting somebody that doesn't know you or of you. I gotta say that must be really hard being like a, a celebrity or something. But I really like meeting somebody on just human terms mm-hmm. and not with some pretension hanging over you. You know? Yeah, you don't have a, a reputation that who knows what they've heard about you. Yeah, and and now I'm really comfortable because I've been out of the bluegrass scene. I was out of it for so long. I'm comfortable doing what I know is best for me and my playing, not what Joe Schmo banjo hangout fan in the audience thinks he wants me to play i I used to worry a lot about that because banjo's heavy on that right it's like are you playing like the latest player do you know the latest lick are you using hoffmeyer picks you know or whatever i learned to keep my own counsel and let social hierarchy go to the wayside i don't i don't care about that stuff anymore It, it seems like it's served you well one thing we didn't mention is so what's the name of the band that you're playing with now? Oh, Songs from the Road Band. Okay. Yeah. And how do, how do people find information about you and your playing or your, or your group uh, you online? Can, you can go to www.ryancavanaughbanjo.com, or I'm sure you can find Songs from the Road Band on Facebook. You can also find my artist page on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I think I'm R. Kavanaugh Banjo on Instagram. All kinds of places. You can just... Google my name. Use the Google machine. All my music's on iTunes. I don't have a lot of my own stuff out because I've been playing in so many bands for a while, but but uh, hopefully some new stuff will come out as this new band comes into fruition. And Are you yeah. going to... Do you have a recording plan with the new band? I actually bought the, the Songs from the Road record and was... I don't want to say disappointed that you weren't on it because <laughs> Andy Thorne's on it and he's great too. Yeah. But I think there's but a lot of people Ryan that Kavanaugh. I think there's a lot yeah. I think next year or maybe this maybe at the end of this year we'll record a new record, but yeah, I should I'll be on the following records. Yeah, whatever and, the uh, next thing ends up. And being. this you know, the songs are good. I got to say the the songs on the record that you bought. Yeah. I joined cool. this band for the songs. I wanted to be in a band that wasn't about technical prowess and I don't know, something like that. But these guys wrote some amazing songs with Sean Camp and various other uh, Nashville hit writers. And it's a pleasure to play them because they aren't typical. Yeah, that's great. And that's going to move the music forward. If somebody starts playing one of their songs at a jam and it happens... The next wagon wheel. catches on. Yeah, the next... That's what they wanted to do. One of their songs is like that. But uh, they're lovely guys. They're lovely players. This fiddle player in the band, James Schlender... He's from Montana, and he's a two-time national fiddle, fiddle champ. Amazing. 24 years old. Wow. Burning fiddle player. Every night we broadcast our live shows while we're on tour on, a, on an app called Mixler, M-I-X-L-R, and you can listen to the stream for free, or we upload the, the show the next day. Wow. And I'm you, check that out. And you can listen to it. There's a on library the website, of tunes on there. It's, you can figure it out. From Songs the, from yeah. the Road Band with No Spaces. Yeah. on the Mixler app. And yeah, you can go through there and listen to board mixes. Well, you're in the right... So what you should do to start the next wagon wheel trend is you need to figure out which of the songs it's going to be. And then when you're at a place like this, this is where you need to take advantage of it. Yes. Every circle you get into. Oh, absolutely. shove it down people's throats. You're playing this and this is how it goes. And, and these the, the, this band has a lot of tunes that are going to... Uh, I I think they're going to change... I can't predict anything, but 
I really like to listen to them. They're beautiful lyrics. And well, I can't wait to hear more of it. I'm going to check out those live streams. That's good to know. Right on. Yeah, let me know what you think. And thank you, everybody out there in Banjo Land. Yeah, thanks for your time, Ryan. Take it easy. Thanks. And that's going to do it for part two with Ryan Cavanaugh and for this episode of the Picky Fingers podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. You can contact me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Search for me online on all the social media stuff and make sure you follow me. Make sure you subscribe on all the Stitchery, iTunesy places that you find your podcasts. Um, what else? Oh yeah, Patreon. Donate to the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash banjo podcast you can become a supporter of the show and i really really appreciate that thanks again to mike tripico who was the official patreon sponsor of this episode but that's it for now thanks again for listening and i'll see y'all next time